be here from North Carolina. Um, y'all, I could say the word like y'all, I don't know if that communicates, but um, that's what, how we speak down in the southern part of the U.S. It's a delight to be here. I'm very honored and uh, just pleased to be able to share my heart, something that's dear on my heart. Uh, my wife Beth and I um, have, this is our second time, we went to Leicester uh, back in April. I got to tour Scotland and up in that part of the world and then down into London. And then tomorrow morning, we're getting to go minister to some vineyard leaders over in Northern Ireland. So we're pretty excited about that, pumped about that. Never been there and excited. So um, I just am excited. I, I, I'm not really sure all, but I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. So can we just open with prayer? And then I'll share some things about myself and uh, we'll see what the Lord has. Thank you, Father. Lord, I, I pray now for just the sweet presence of God to come in this place. Your love is real. Your love is powerful. Your love is transformative. Your love changes us. We've sung about it so beautifully. And I just ask that you would release a fresh download, like you'd open up like a downpour of rain in this place. You would release your love to every heart that's here. And as I share and as I speak, I pray that you're, you would take the words and you just explode them in different hearts. Just for movement and change and encouragement and life and hope and peace. Just thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was raised in a Catholic home. Uh, the third of four boys. My father was an army colonel. And I was uh, just pretty much raised in that yes sir three bags full kind of environment. And uh, in my, uh, when I was about 18 years old, uh, Billy Graham spoke at my university and I was just completely undone by hearing the gospel. I became uh, a Christian just a few months later. And then a few months after that, I, I started flight training with the United States Army down in Fort Rucker, Alabama. And at that time, someone started sharing with me what the Holy Spirit was. I'd never heard of, of a and filling, and I just quietly received this uh, beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit and started to speak in tongues and uh, just literally exploded within me. Uh, ever since then, I've had uh, different, different things that I've done in my career. Um, like like uh, John said, I was an attack helicopter pilot in the first Gulf War. I see a lot of young faces. I don't think some of you were born in 1991, which is kind of creepy to me, but that's my story. And then I spent some time in the in the uh, military, I mean in the, in the corporate world with General Electric, going around doing leadership training with different leaders all over the United States. But um, my spiritual story is, is I just began to fall in love with the vineyard movement. In 1991, my wife and I uh, were part of a vineyard uh, church plant in Wilmington, North Carolina. And uh, I became a, one of the early worship leaders and we kind of grew up in this movement. This is our family. We, we travel all over and do different things at different places because we love this family. I don't know about you, but I love our family. I like vineyard. I'm very comfortable. I can kind of stretch out and be myself. And uh, it's just great. I love the family that I'm in and the family that you're in. And, and, and I'm passionate about the, the values and what we do. And then, so we planted a church. Uh, that, the first church we planted was quite difficult uh, because of some of my brokenness and some of my drivenness, and some of my lack of identity in, in knowing God as my father. And that church kind of completely uh, imploded and fell apart. And at that time in my life, I, I just thought I was done. <laughs> and God just so restored that, and restored me, and he brought me into a new, fresh revelation of love. That's what I want to speak from tonight. 
when I was at my worst, when I had fallen completely apart, the love of God kind of just rescued me. <laughs> I love the, the lyrics of that last song, uh, You Rescued Me, because that's my story. And I, I, I pray that if you don't have that kind of story tonight as I share what I want to share, that you start to get in touch that the love of God can do anything in your life. Anything. It can transform you. It can open doors. It can heal you and restore you. And that you, not, not just the person beside you, not just your family, not the people you just respect, but you have a place in God's story. So let's go to the scriptures. Romans chapter 8. So I was praying and seeking God for this talk and what we're going to do, and, and, and John and Debbie gave us lots of grace to pray about it, and, and, and just one day this week as we were administering some of the leaders of the Vineyard Movement, I saw this picture and, and, and this phrase that came to my mind, the revealing of the uh, sons and the daughters of God, it comes from Romans chapter 8, let me read it, and let me unpack some thoughts about it, and then I really feel strongly the Spirit wants to move tonight to touch some hearts. Romans uh, chapter 8 and verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only that, we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, and we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. There's three groanings there. Three groanings. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. And now he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. There's this, this, this speaking of groaning, those words in the, in the Greek are, are, are literally, as it says, Paul says in Scripture, birth pangs. They're, 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 they're not um, a simple groan, put it that way. They're a deep groaning. I've, I've, I've been present as my, my wife has given birth to, to four children, two sons and two daughters. And in that place, there's this time that comes in transition, and you, you, she's carry the baby for a long period of time, but then there's this moment that comes and she's having contractions and you go through this thing called transition and it is not easy. Uh, I've, I've never experienced childbirth, but I've watched it and it is not easy. And all of a sudden there's this, this burst of, 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 of pain and intensity and groaning and, 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 and <clears throat> yeah, that's all we need to talk about. One time, I almost passed out during the birth. That's terrible. I'm supposed to be strong for her, and I'm over there, and the nurse is fanning me. That's terrible. That, I'm not proud of that, but that really happened. She said, you doing, you doing okay, Tom? I'm like, I'm doing good. Take care of her. I'm doing good. That's terrible, but that's, that really happened. It's intense. 
The groaning comes and something's being birthed. I feel that there's three groanings that are going on right now and I think it's intense and I think things are shifting and I think things are moving and what God wants to birth is the manifestation, the revealing of the sons and the daughters of God. You and I, you and I, revealed to be the people that we were meant to be, manifesting the nature of Christ inside of us. What we were born to do is reflect the image of the Son of God. That's what we were born for. Three groanings are happening. The first one is the groaning of creation. And that groaning is happening socially, it's happening economically, it's happening even in the earth as you know, big holes come in the ground and, and things fall into the earth or earthquakes are happening or tsunamis in Japan or, 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 or all kinds of things are going on. It's like the earth itself is groaning and groaning and groaning within these birth pangs until now because it can't wait for this thing, the revealing of the sons and the daughters of God, you and I. But it's not just creation. Politically, in your country, there's been votes, the Brexit vote, that just shifted everything. I, I don't fully know what that means. I've read from it across the way, but it just seems like things are shifting. Our own election in the United States, just, just, just tectonic plates just coming and lives and hopes and expectations. Just everything seems to be shifting. It's happening. It's real, and, and we're in the middle of it. But it's not just creation. There's also, it says, in verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought that the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but the Spirit will come and you'll be in the midst of a time of change or you'll know that you, can't, you can no longer stay where you are. You can no longer live the life that you're living. You know what you are doing right now is, is at a dead end or it's not supposed to go any further. And then things start shifting and relationships start changing. Or you might lose your job or some, something that you've always trusted in. Uh, you have to move to a new city, whatever it is. It could be even de deeply painful, like the death of someone that you love. And something's shifting and in that moment, you don't even have words to pray. Who's ever experienced this with me? You don't even know the words you need to pray. Have you ever experienced that before? You just have no, I don't even know what to pray. What happens is if you ask God, um, he is starting to do this. He will come to you and he will start to do wordless, I call it wordless intercession. He will pray with groanings that cannot be uttered. You can't put words on it. It's the best description I could have would be the children of Israel. We sang about it. You split the seas so I could walk right through it. That's a picture of salvation. That's a picture of knowing Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, what God did is through his son, he split the seas. He split his own body. He ran his own body that he make, could make a new and living way for us to come to him. And what will happen is that you're groaning and those Israelites sighed and cried and groaned to the Lord. And he came and he sent Moses and all those miracles happened for them to set free. So the earth is groaning, the creation is groaning, the spirit is groaning. But then it says something else. It's powerful. It says we ourselves inwardly are groaning. And this is where I want to get a little more personal. And I don't know about you, but throughout my life, especially when I was younger, I was constantly looking for other people to tell me whether I was okay or to tell me who I was. And I, I had no inner rea reality of the love of the Father. I, I could hear sermons on Father. I could uh, uh, have people uh, sing about Father or talk about Father. I had no. And I, I, this is, 
This came to my mind during the worship. So I was leading a church, and I, I, was, I was on a staff of a church, and things were going pretty well, mostly. But I, I kept bumping into this place inside of me I did not like, I didn't want to face. And, and I, was just, I just kept resisting authority. I kept, uh, I kept missing the signals and the cues of what was right. I was not healthy. And in the same week, my pastor and my wife said to me, Tom, something is wrong with you. Now that's not good to hear. Something's wrong with you. I don't know what it meant, but I, the, the sigh went up from my heart, and I said, I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of fighting. I just want to be well. What do you think I should do? And they said, there's this thing called Sozo. And the, the author of it was just a few hours down the road in Nashville, Tennessee. And I went to that place, and I sat in this room where two famous people, Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant, were in the youth group and had begun their worship. It was Belmont Church. I'm sitting in the basement. I'm just kind of defeated. I don't, I don't know what else to do. They paid for me to go, and I just, I'm just sitting there. And these men come in. They just sit with me, and they ask me three questions. They said, uh, I just want to, just to pray for you just for a second. And when you think of the Spirit, what do you think of? And I thought of, the, I thought of a dove, and I thought of just the light, and I thought of uh, just the warmth and the, and the, the blessing and the favor of God. I, I could see that. And they said, what do you think about Jesus? And I thought, oh, I feel like he's like a friend but an older brother. And he, he cares about me and he, he will do things to help me. And then he asked me this question. When you, when you think of Father, who do you think of? And I saw a blank television screen. Nothing. Zero. And they just sat there for just a minute. And they said, well, why don't we just pray and just ask God to come? And, and, and see what he's saying. And, and they took me to a memory. They took me to a memory, and I, I think I'm supposed to share this memory. When I was 14 years old, I was, a, I was a, 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 the third son, and my father was a Ph.D. aeronautical engineer from Stanford. If you know, when someone says, that's not rocket science, my dad was a rocket scientist. Now, that's kind of intimidating when you don't have a mechanical bone in your body. I'm a musical person, I'm a people person, I have a degree in journalism and writing, words are my thing, mechanical things I just can't do. And so it was, I, was in the, I was in the garage with him and uh, it was time for me to, to take my place and help him. I'm sitting there, I don't understand it, I don't even think spatially, I know I'm not good at it, but I'm sitting there trying to help my father. And he's under pressure, he was a, he was a very broken man, he loved me with all that he had, but he wasn't very affirmative, and he wasn't really honestly emotionally healthy or present. So I'm sitting there. I hate being there. And for some reason, I just, I just froze. And he said, do something. And I just kind of rebelliously and with an attitude just sat there. He went off to do something. He washed some parts. He came back. He had a wrench in his hand. And he, said, and he came back. And he said, what are you doing? And something inside my 14-year-old heart said, I don't know what I'm doing. And I don't even want to be here. I don't understand what you're talking about. I hate working on these cars. I don't recommend this, teenagers. This is not healthy. But my heart was groaning. Do you understand what I'm saying? My heart was groaning. And I said, I can't do this. I don't even know what we're doing, and I don't like it. And he looked me in the eye, and he screamed me in my face. He said, you are no use to me. Go in the house. And he threw the wrench against the wall. I still can remember it, hearing the wall and bouncing on the concrete. I went into my room, I started crying terribly, and I said, I'll show you I'm valuable. And I started to live out of a false center. 
performing for love and acceptance. I had to be good enough. I had to constantly live out of this thing of being good enough for people to love me. Set me on a terrible course, a, a lot of pain for me, a lot of pain for my wife, a lot of pain for the people around me. And even though I was a Christian and even though I had positions and my, my giftedness would lift me up into places where I was in positions of authority, nothing at that point was coming from love. Nothing at that point was coming from an overflow of the love of God in my life. I didn't have any. I didn't know who Father was. And in that moment, in that, in that sozo session, this beautiful picture unfolded. And they said, where do you see? And I saw Jesus come from the side door. I can still see it in my mind. And he came, and I was in the corner, curled up like in a fetal position. He came, and he picked me up, and he just held me to his chest, and he walked past the car, and the back of my garage opened up. This is, how, this is in the spirit now. And the back of my garage opened up. There was the throne room with the Father, and Jesus picked me up, and he came, and he laid me in the Father's arms. And in one second, I knew what life was all about. I was home. Because I had a father. I remember calling my wife on the way home. I said, it, it happened, honey. <laughs> it happened. It was good. And she goes, I can hear it in your voice. God had led me through such a broken trail, but he's begun to show me that the one thing that can change this world, the one thing that the world is groaning for is the love of God. Can we put the slide up there about agape? I teach this as a course in our foundation of our church, Blue Ridge Vineyard in, in North Carolina, because I've found that most of us will know all kinds of things about church, but we won't know the most important thing, which is the love of the Father. Jesus said this. He said, uh, he said he asked, uh, someone asked him what was the greatest commandment. He said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love, love, and love. Love yourself, love others, and love God. And this word was never even in the language before the New Testament church came, and it was a Greek word that they called agape. And what it means is eternal, unbroken, sacrificial, benevolent love. It is, uh, it is unconditional love. And you can hear that in your head and not experience it, but I've begun to experience it for the past 15 years. I've been like pickled in love. You know how they make a pickle? They take a cucumber... They make it near our house. They take a cucumber and they put it down in brine. And after a while, you can't tell the difference between the brine and the, and the, and the cucumber. And it's called a pickle. I don't even like pickles. But it's cool. Because that thing becomes what it's immersed in. Let's keep, keep it coming. What you were created for is the love of God. You were created to be immersed in love. You were created to be saturated in love. You were created uh, to be bathed in that love, cleansed in that love, healed in that love. That's what God made. But a lot of us have experienced this thing that entered in the fall, and it's called eros. It's not, there's many people that would interpret that as erotic love, sexual love, but the early Greek scholars, there's all kinds of things I've studied on this, actually painted uh, uh, eros as self-serving love. We call that love with a hook in it. Straight arrow love is God's love. It's like a vector. It comes from him. He wants nothing in return. Even if you hated him, he would love you. Even if you chose to reject him, he would love you. He would just love you. He loves you not because you're good enough. He loves you because he's love. He never stops. The other love, the, the, the love on the, on the, on the right-hand side, let's do it one more time, it's, what I, it's what I, how I'd love myself, and I'd even love God that way. I would make bargains with God. Who ever made a bargain with God? God, if you'll do this, I'll do this over here. I'm not, I don't think he's interested in that. 
I don't think God's interested in brokering deals with me. But yet, we'll do that. And he can handle it. But what, what happens is you must make a transition. And this is what I'm seeing in, around is I coach people all over the world, all over America, coach people here in the UK. We have to make a transition from self to love, from eros to agape. If you think about it, God is love, it says in 1 John 4. So the family resemblance that we will show as sons and daughters of God is actually love. It's like a message of my life. I was a loveless person, and then the love of God pickled me. <laughs> I really like that. I don't know why, but I really do. He just immersed me in love. I began to experience love. I began to experience favor. I don't know if you understand what this is like. But if you, if you know that you're loved and secure as a son or a daughter of God, the favor of God follows you around and blesses you. Do you even understand what I'm saying? It's, it's a miraculous. It's beautiful. You're not anything super. You, you don't see yourself as anything special, but the love of God begins to move and take you forward in your life. You cannot give what you do not have. And if you don't have that love and aren't filled with it, um, you won't be able to, to overflow with it. But let me show you something else. One more slide. I want to show these three circles. The revealing of the sons and the daughters of God are not just you being loved as this random son or daughter, but it's something particular. This is, and this, please listen to this, because I, I saw some things in the spirit during the worship. You weren't created for everything or anything. You were created for a particular thing. And I want to read it from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Excuse me, first 4, verse 6 and 7. Chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7. For it is God, the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure... And if you take the language into its original and you trace it out, what that means is the treasure is not you, it's the image of God in you. We have this treasure, the light of Christ, in earthen vessels so that the excellence of the power might be of God and not of us. All we are is reflectors. All we are is channels of the love of God. But it comes in particular ways. Let's show it one more time. You have a, I'm just going to quickly cover this, but you have a place in you of what you're passionate about, how God has wired you and made you, and how you naturally bear fruit. I, I wasn't made to be an engineer. I was meant to communicate. I was meant to tell people about how amazing our God is. That's why God gave me the, what he gave me. Not to do my thing, not to do what I want, but when, I've, when I discover this for myself, my wife and I have been entering this for a while, and she's discovering hers. And then now we've taken our two lives, and we've said, okay, take those two get wirings and giftings, and let's put them together in our marriage, and let's try to reveal God even more with that. This is what you're created for, and that colored place in the middle is the treasure. It's the image of God. It's how you naturally were wired to reflect Jesus. And I love the guys did it. They made it gold. Way to go, guys. Give hands to the guys up there because I'd never seen that before. Way to go. Let's give a hand to those guys up in the sound team. I mean, they do a good job. But 
It's gold. It's gold. It's the gold that you have. It's the gold inside of you. You each have it. You carry it. You carry a portion of Christ. I can't show. The earth is groaning for a whole generation to stand to their feet and say, this is who I was made to be, and this is my God. He's doing it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You, you were created as a miracle. That, that, that revealing of the sons of God is like, a, it's like a, it's an art piece of artwork that they pull the tarp off, and there's this magnificent art piece. That's you. Do you believe that? 2 Corinthians, I mean, 2, uh, excuse me, um, Gal Gal no, it's Ephesians 2, verse 10 says, we're his workmanship. We're, we're a masterpiece. That's who you are to God. You're a son or a daughter who's loved by him. I, I want to give you a few um, pictures of what it would look like if you came to this. Just four different things. What it will look like if you come into your sweet spot they say, and I've studied a lot of this literature, the people who are most fulfilled and, 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 uh, and fruitful in their lives live 80% of their time, their waking hours are lived 80% of the time in their sweet spot of what they're good at and they get pleasure and feel a joy in doing. That's, that's, that's like an abundant life. Here's some things that you'll look like if you begin to find this sweet spot, get pickled in the love of God, just four things. The first is that you become open and overflowing. You start to live life like this. You, start, you quit living life so gripped, holding on to things. You quit trying to, to, uh, to, to control everything to get your way. You, you, your heart is open with the love of God, and then you live your, your life openly, and your hands are open, your heart is open. You're just a conduit of the goodness and the truth and the love of God. The next thing is that you're free and you're flourishing. What I mean by freedom is that and I, I do a course on boundaries, you start to know that when you start to feel, I'm doing this for the wrong motives. I think I'm doing this just to please people. I think that's not right. I'm not going to do that. What do you want me to do, Father? I want to do this over here. You're free to make the right choice. A lot of us don't have that freedom yet. We need healing. But you're free. You're free to invest. You're free to live from your sweet spot, to, to learn to grow in your gifts. The next one. You're grateful. You're grateful and you're generous. You, you, you know that everything you've been given is from God. You know that your father is smiling on you. You know that your father has so much wealth and so much overflow that you can give everything you have away and he's just going to pour more into you. That's my God. You know, my, last time I checked, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What do you need? He has it. And you're grateful and your hands open. At last, and this is what I want to get to. You've become intimate and influencing. I don't, I don't know if you realize this, but the power of your ministry for Christ will be directly related to the depth of the intimacy that you walk in. Do you understand that? The power that comes through your life, the, much, the, the amount of Jesus that flows through you is going to be directly proportional to the amount of intimacy you walk in with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He loves you. You'll be impactful as you're an influencer. I want to give one more slide and then I want to pray for you. There are three things that you can do to move into this life. And they're very simple. And I'm a writer, so I love alliteration. So they all start with L. So just deal with it. That's, I like it. 
The first is let Jesus love you to wholeness. It's tonight, if you're here and you're, you're not sure what life's about, you're not sure what you're about, you know you're not satisfied with it, you know you have a groaning inside, I would just say, if you don't know Jesus tonight, tonight be the night that you give your life to him. Tonight be the night that you say, you know, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to put my trust in him. Because I'm telling you, no one can make you flourish like Jesus. Nobody. He made you, and he can change you. Let him love you to wholeness. I want some people in this room tonight to get pickled in love. That's what I'd like. That's a weird thought, but it's really good. Just to be immersed in it until love comes through your pores. Until when they bump you, you leak love. If I bumped that thing and it fell over, when they bump you, they don't get the monster. They get love and mercy and forgiveness. Next one is this. Live your life for others, that straight arrow. I've found nothing is more freeing than to completely die to what I want, how I want it to happen, or where I want to get to. I am so enjoying this place of just letting God run my life. I can't explain it. I don't even know why I'm here across the ocean. I just said to the Father when he, one time when he was wanting to give me some things, I, he was just giving me so much. I said, why are you blessing me so much? He said, because I want you to open up your hand and give everything you got, the best of what you got, to the most amount of people as fast as you can. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And you know what? It's just like the more, the more I give, I can't, I can't give too much. He just opens up doors. He gives me more. Live your life for others. Don't live it for yourself. And lastly, let go. Surrender. Quit fighting. Quit. This is what I saw. I saw some of you in a wrestling match with Jesus. You, don't, you might even know Jesus, but you're in a wrestling match with Jesus because he loves you. And you're like Jacob, who was wrestling with God for what God would do. And he wanted God to bless him so much, but there was this control thing going on. And then at the end of the fight, it's in Genesis, God touched his hip, and from then on he walked with a limp. You know, but, he, but he was free because God changed his name from deceiver and swindler to prince with God. That's what God wants to do tonight. I have a crazy story that I'll tell and then we'll pray. Just a funny story, but I, I, yeah, I think it'll illustrate. I brought my little friend here. This is, this is Squirt from Finding Nemo. Who knows who Squirt is from Finding Nemo? Does anybody know who that is? Am I crazy? I can't even see you. Who, raise, wave at me if you know who Squirt is from Finding Nemo. His dad's a turtle and he goes, noggin. You know, and all that stuff. And his dad goes, dude, what's going on? <laughs> and he's this little parachute guy. And he's like, and they're hitting the East Australian current. And he's just sitting there and he's going, okay. And Dory and what is his name? Elmo or whatever his name. I can't remember his name. <laughs> and, and he's there and he's like, he's like um, what's the dad's name? Marlon. And he's like, okay, we're going to have a great jump today. And get ready. And it's like, he's like a parachute guy. Well, let me tell you my parachute story and then we'll pray. So I, I, was in, I was in Duke University ROTC, which is our military training thing, and I was sitting next to my buddy, and I said, and this guy from the front said, anybody want to go to parachute school? <laughs> this, this is my spiritual gift, stupidity. And I just looked at him, and I said, I said he, go, he looked at me, I looked at him, and he goes, who wants to go to parachute school? We, he and I looked at each other, we just went like that. That's all, no words, we do. So I get the thing, I get on a plane, I head down to Fort Benning, uh, Georgia, and, and they start training us. It's about a three-week course. They start throwing you out of stuff. That was my first sign something was wrong. They start throwing you out of things, and you start learning how to land, and they start explaining all this stuff. Long story short, the time came to jump. It was jump day. 
And they take you into this, this room. This is really crazy. And they're trying to scare the living daylights out of you. And they're playing these songs like, when the blood and guts come and he dies and the victory and valor. And I'm like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be. This is I, can, I, can I not do this now? And they said, no, you're going to do it. So they strap this parachute on you, put one between your legs, put one on your back, and you waddle onto this airplane, and then they close the door. And that, that's when it is over. You are going out. They are not going to land with you in, with, on the plane. You're going out. So we go over Fort Bragg. We're flying over the top. And uh, we get to this place. And my buddy that I had sat with was in front of me in line, and he was the first. What happens is you'll come over the drop zone. The pilots will say, when that green light comes on, when the door comes open, and the green light comes on, all of you parachuters need to get out. You're clipped onto a line within about 11 seconds. That's all the time you have. In 11 seconds, it's over. You're, you're all going to be out. Whether you want to be out or not, we're going to throw you out. But you're going to be out. So we're getting there. And I remember looking at him. And, I, and I'm terrified. Now, I, 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 that's probably too private. But I wanted to just like run or vomit or something that would excuse me. But I, I didn't. And, uh, and, and so he said, and, and I tapped on his shoulder, and, uh, and I said, Craig, Craig, and it was loud, you could hear the engine, like, Craig, are you scared? I, and I was hoping he would say, yeah, and he turned around, and his eyes were like this big, and water was coming out of his eyes. He goes, no! And I, I just thought to myself, you're a liar. Because <laughs> I was terrified, and so was he. But you know what, we were gotten that far, we're going out of the plane, Green light comes on, the drill sergeant throws me, and I'm thrown out into the air. You know what? All of a sudden, you're in this parachute, boom, boom, boom thing. You know, shoot comes out, and all of a sudden, quiet. And I'm going down to the ground. I'm like, this is really cool. <laughs> you know, if I hadn't jumped out of that plane, I'd never seen this before. This is awesome. Hey, that's where I live right over there. And I'm just coming down to the ground. I come down, and I get down. I was terrified up there. I get on the ground. I pull up my chute, and then I'm like, you know what? I'm awesome. <laughs> I just jumped out of an airplane. You know, all the whole time I was scared to death. I was totally wanted to quit, but there was something about going forward. There was something about the boldness to just say, and I did something I had never done in my life. And here's what I want to say to you tonight. The Holy Spirit said to me in the, in the worship, that many of you were paralyzed by fear. You were paralyzed. There was the boldness that God had put on your life, the ability to step out and take risks. Our founder, John Wimber, used to say, faith is spelled R-I-S-K, risk. And you've settled into this nice life, and everything's good, and I don't want to get it too far. I don't want to be too weird. But God's going, come on. Get on this plane with me, and let's go have an adventure. <laughs> 